It's nice to see you. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Morning. Hey, uh, I'm Jason, if we haven't met. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Golfside. And uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to, love to meet you. Um, I wouldn't be described as a people person, but I li- still like to meet people. And uh, so I'm excited about this morning. We are going to continue in our series uh, of We Are the Church. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity to preach or speak in front of people before, if that's something that you've done. Uh, I, you have in mind how something is going to go, okay? You, you know how something's going to go, and, and you know when you're going to make the people laugh, and then you know you're going to make a point, and you hope, you know, all that goes well, right? And um, this morning, I don't know how this is going to go. It's a total mystery. I know how it went in the first service, and, um, and, but I, I still don't, can't be sure how it's going to go. And one of the reasons for that is the subject that we have to cover today is not one that's, o- that's often spoke about. Um, it's, uh, it's probably one of Jesus' teachings that is preached the least uh, across churches every Sunday, uh, every Sunday morning. And, um, and so, but we're going to tackle it today and we're going to, it's going to be just fine, right? All right. Okay. Right. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there are roughly 500 verses on prayer, 500, give or take 10 each way, but it's about 500. And then from Genesis to Revelation, there are about the same amount, right around 500 verses on faith, which makes sense. You have to have faith to pray and all that kind of stuff. And then and then from Genesis to Revelation, there are about 2,000 verses on, anybody? Money. 2,000 verses on money. And a hush goes across the crowd. A matter of fact, of those 2,000, did you, did you know one out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with money? One out of 10. 16 of the 38 parables Jesus taught deal with money. 25% of the recorded teachings of Jesus deal with financial resources. 25%. Can you imagine if Paul came back and said, hey, look, I want to teach like Jesus did, so one out of four, here comes the money sermon. One out of four. And, and the reality is, is that his preaching ministry would have lined up with Jesus' ministry closer than it ever has because he's doing exactly what Jesus did. But because of the day and the age that we live in and the skepticism that would come with that, there would be a lot of people that would think, He's he's not lined up with Jesus' ministry at all. And so you can imagine why it's hard as a pastor, you know, that he would come up here and and he would teach about money. Not that he wouldn't, he would, but um, you can imagine why pastors across the country kind of shy away. Because money seems so private, right? It seems so like, well, it's mine and, and, you know, you don't share those kind of things with people and, and it's... It's really, really hard, and, and one of the things you notice in the New Testament when Jesus is talking about money is that he preaches 25% of his recorded ministries about it, but there's one thing he doesn't do. 
He doesn't ever ask for any. You ever notice that? He spends so much time preaching on money and never asks for it. And it makes you think, why? Why does he do that? And here's what I think. I think he's going after the heart of people instead of the action. He's going after the heart instead of the action. Because he knows that if he can transform the heart, a transformed heart will lead to the action. And so he, he was going after the people's hearts. He's going after our hearts because of our transformed heart would lead to that action. And so if it leads to that action, it leads me to the conclusion of if we are the church, we have to be a church that has hearts of generosity. We have to be a church that has hearts of generosity. And I think over the course of the next couple of minutes, you're going to find out that that can be very, very difficult, but we have to be a church that has hearts of generosity. And if we're a church that has hearts of generosity, it forces this morning that we have to have a conversation about money. We have to have a conversation about money. Listen, money in itself will weave its way into our lives, money and our treasures. It will weave a way into our lives where it will either be toxic and destructive to us or it will be free, freeing and life-giving to us. And it can go both ways, easily. And so this morning as we talk about hearts of generosity, being generous as a church, and struggle through the idea of, yes, we got to talk about money. I won't apologize for it. And they'll probably say something that's going to hurt your feelings. And I am looking forward to it. Because this is how Jesus taught. And so follow me into Matthew. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. It says this. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there is the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And so if we look at verses 19 through 21, I want to start with the positive thing. The very first thing that Jesus is talking about. He wants you to store up treasures for yourself. That's a great thing. Store up treasures for yourself. That's a, that's a do this thing. And you should be excited about that. The part that gets us is that he wants us to do it in a very particular way. Right? He wants us to do it in a particular way. He wants us to store our treasures in heaven. And then the do not part of this verse is do not store your treasures on earth. And so what we have to see is that 
When God tells us not to store our treasures on earth, he is trying to save us. He's trying to save your spirit and my spirit from having anxiety and a desire to be God. He's trying to save us from that. We don't store treasures in a way where we feel like we have to control them and manipulate them. Have you, have you realized that we do this? We like to, to control and manipulate the treasures that we, that we store on earth. We want to make sure, uh, how's our 401k doing? I invested money. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it, you know, I got this thing and this thing is nice. And is it, is it in a nice working order? And I hope it gets treated like this. And I want to do, and we, we try, and we create worry in our life and we create anxiety in our life because of the treasures that we have here on earth. And Jesus is trying to save us from some of those worries and some of those Desires that we have when we have treasures on earth because that's where the moths come to destroy and where the rust comes to destroy and the thieves come to destroy. Jesus has called us to store treasures in a way that is life-giving and eternal. And he, and he presses so hard on this subject because it's so hard for us to experience money in a way that would teach us a real lesson. You see, most of us, eh, all of us are stuck between Ecclesiastes and Job financially. Okay? We're stuck between Ecclesiastes and Job. Now, if you're like, what? Let me explain. If you go to Ecclesiastes and a little bit of uh, uh, Second Kings or whatever, you're going to find a guy and his name is Solomon. Okay? And Solomon is rich. I don't mean like he's rich. I mean like he's rich, rich, like trillionaire rich, like, like beyond us rich. And, and he has this experiment, basically, if you, read, if you read the scriptures, where he goes through and he's, he's like, look, I'm going to see what pleasure there is under the sun, and I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to see what it's like, and I'm just going to do it. And so he takes all of his money and he throws these amazing parties. I don't know. It's probably not like our parties today. There were a lot of cattle and birds involved and different things. That was what, that's how you did it back then. But these were amazing parties. These weren't like, hey, you're in charge of bringing the chips and, you know, bring your own drinks and, you know, and bring your own, bring your own thing to put on the grid. No, he provided everything. These were amazing parties. Like where you want to be parties. Like you want to be, you want to be invited and this was going to be great. And he would just blow the place out, trick a party out. It was amazing. Okay? And he, and he would throw these parties. He would also, he also tried women for a while. And, 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 and I mean, it's just true. It's in the scriptures. You can read it. Don't email me. Um, like, like, he did that. He also tried real estate, trying to find pleasures from all these things. And, he, you know, and, he, and, and when he got done with all of this big experiment on finding pleasure and, and using, you know, having more stuff and more things. You know what his conclusion was? It's all meaningless. That was his conclusion. I've done everything there is to do under the sun. I, I have everything to have under the sun. I've, I've accomplished all of this stuff, and it's all meaningless. Now here's what I want you to see, though. You are never going to be able to learn Solomon's lesson yourself. You don't have those types of resources. If you do, I like to see you after the service. There's a building that we're trying to build. And, but it's just, that's just the truth. You don't have those type of resources. You can't experience everything under the sun and what pleasure it can bring and, and, and how much you can enjoy. You can't do that. 
And so you'll never learn that experience for yourself. But you also don't have the experience of Job, who lost everything. I mean everything. Resources, finances, people. I mean, he lost everything. Most of us never find us, we will never find ourselves in that spot where like we have literally lost it all. And so we live financially between Solomon and Job, don't we? Somewhere in the middle is where we find ourselves. And we can't learn the the lesson that Job learned, which is that God is enough. When I have literally nothing, he's enough. And we can't learn Solomon's lesson that all this stuff that I can accumulate for myself will never satisfy my soul. And, And so we find ourselves in the middle And that's a dangerous place to be because the middle, you hear this statement a lot. If I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, and you know it sounds familiar to you. If you just had a little bit, I would invite people in my home. If I just had a little bit more of this and I could fix this up and then we could invite people over. If I just had a little bit more that I would give to the church, if I, if I just had a little bit more, I would, I would meet the need that I see in the church. If I just had a little bit more, then I could be a part of this or I could do this. If I just, a dangerous statement, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more. It's just a dangerous, dangerous statement. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. If I just had a little bit more. And Jesus is teaching us, he's trying to teach us to not invest there, to not invest in these earthly things. Don't, in, don't, don't invest in things that you have to constantly worry about or worry about keeping them safe or manipulate them in some way so they're working for you. Because all of that money, all of this stuff will never satisfy the soul. It will never buy peace. It will never buy joy. It will never buy you out of depression. Jesus is teaching you to invest in a different way, in a different thing. And he's teaching us not to invest in earthly things. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying that things are not are bad. Things are not bad. We all have things. Like we got here today in a thing, our car, right? But I do want to say that sometimes when we have a lot of things, they start changing us in certain ways. And I'll give you an example. I, they, they, they bring worry sometimes in our life that Jesus is trying to save us from. And my example is this. We, um, Lindsay and I used to have a van. And it was a, it was a good van. And, um, but we had it for a really long time. It was really old, 2000-something, I don't know, way down. I used to think that was new. Then I'm realizing it was like 20 years ago. And like, like it's, it was just old. And, and you know what I didn't do with that van? I didn't worry about it at all. I mean, like, at all. Like, Lindsay could call. Hey, I scraped up against the pole. Who cares? I mean, whatever. I mean, the things. Have you ever been to the parking lot and you thought, can I fit in there? Like, there's two cars. Like, when you had this van, you were like, yep, you know, and everybody else is worried, but you're not. Straight in. Doesn't matter. Didn't matter. Van's garbage. It's got like all sorts of stuff. Literally the only thing we might worry about is, can it start? Yes, we're good. It started. All change needed. Ah, we can go another 500 miles. Don't worry about it. Didn't care. And then 
blessed by a lot of you in here, we got a new van. One for Evie with special needs. You can roll her in the back. And guess what Jason does about that van? He cares. All of a sudden, I started to notice that every time Lindsay took a right turn, she'd hit the curb. And I'm like, why are you hitting the curb? It's a new van. And she was like, well, you never mind. Before, yeah, that other one was junk. This one's nice. You know, even yesterday, Lindsay was walking out, and she was like, hey, is this a scratch on, this, on, the, on the thing? And I'm like... We have never noticed a scratch in the old van, ever. As a matter of fact, it was starting to become a design that it had so many scratches. Like, there was no worry. But what ha- and, and listen, I'm not saying that, that we should not care about our stuff because we should. Because God has gifted us with things and we should care about them. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have stuff because we should. Because th- that stuff helps us bless people. All the time. Our money helps us bless people. Our cars help us bless people. Our house helps us bless people. Like we, we could bless people those ways. And that is a great thing. And I want you guys to know it. But I also want you to know that you are supposed to own stuff and stuff is not supposed to own you. Let that sink in. You're supposed to own stuff, but stuff is not supposed to own you. Don't invest in things that drives, that takes your concerns and your worries and points them and, and keeps your eyes open to your own things where the, all of your concern is about your earthly investment instead of your concern being set on heavenly things. Because Jesus tells us to invest in heavenly things. And so how do you invest in heavenly things? I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. If you look back in Genesis, it actually started in Genesis, we start learning about a thing called tithe. I know it seems like a bad word, um, and I know you heard it before, and, and, but that's how God structured it, right? So you start looking back in Genesis, and there's this thing about tithing, and, and it was 10%, and this is what God teaches his people, the Israelites. And so they take the tithe and the shortened version would be basically it goes to the Levites who are taking care of the temple. And, and that's what the Israelites would do. That's how God taught them, short version. That's what a tithe was. And that's how they invested in heavenly things is that they would do this out of obedience to God. And then the New Testament comes along. And if we're being perfectly honest, we don't really read anything that's like a tithe, right? We get something incredibly worse. If you look at it, what you get instead is something called radical generosity. That, 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 the, the early church would, would just turn everything on its head. And, and show us what Jesus wants us to do as a church, to be radically generous. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 40, starting in verse 44, it says this. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. This, it, you think that's nuts? Here's the next verse. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. I mean, I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. Does that not sound like a cult? Like, like that's, that's cult-like, right? Can you imagine like going to your neighbor and 
coming over and, hey, you know, you used to have a car. Where's the car at? Oh, I sold the car. We had, you know, I'm part of this church and somebody, they had a medical need come up and they couldn't afford it and, you know, they were going to go into crazy debt. So we, we thought, oh, well, you know, we, got, we have another car. It's no big deal. We'll just sell this car and, and we'll give them the money and, and so that they don't have to be, you know, going crazy debt over this medical problem. And the neighbor would go, oh, that is amazing. Crazy. You know, like, but that's the early church. That's what they did, right? It's, it's radical, this radical generosity that, that Jesus seems to call the church to. It's, it's this radical ability to bless and meet needs. Now, without being complete, I'm not trying to be political, but I just want you to understand that it is never God's intention or design that the government take care of people in need. It's just not a thing. That's something we invented and that we do, but it was never a thing. It has always been the church's duty to bless those in need, always. That is how God intended it to be, for one sole purpose, that the lost would be found and the found would be without need. That's why you have radical generosity in the church, so that the lost will be found and that the found will be without need. And that's the radical generosity of the church. And nothing less will do if you want to reach your community. Nothing less will do. And he has called us to be generous in that way. And he's backed it up with these verses. 2 Corinthians 9, remember a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in a response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. First Timothy chapter six, teach those who are rich in this world. Look at me. You are rich. Compared to the rest of the world, you are rich. I know that you don't feel rich, but you are. You're all wearing pretty nice clothes. You got watches on. I mean, you're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. So this verse is about you, so you might want to pay special attention. Teach those who are rich, me, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all they need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous in those, to those who are in need always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I like that last part. Being generous helps us to experience true life. Storing up treasure in the kingdom of God is how we experience true life. And then he talks about how, in the, in the verses that we read, he talks about how investing in heavenly things shows where the desire of our heart is. And so listen to me. Because this is eye-opening. Money, your money, 
flows to what you worship. You understand? I want, you to, I want that to sink in. Your money flows to what you worship. And I know that that means like, oh, if I have to look at it, what am I going to see? But your money flows to what you worship. And I know that doesn't sound fair because I don't know your situation and you don't know my situation and you, we don't know each other's finances and we don't know what's going on. But this is what I do know. Jesus has called us to have margin in our lives for generosity. He has called us to have margins in our lives for generosity. And then the next thing I'm going to say is not going to be kind. If your house or your car or your toys or your kids' activities don't allow you to have margin for generosity, then you are not living the way that Jesus wants you to live, period. If everything that you have takes, away, takes all of the, your ability, all of your margin away not to be generous, then you are not living the way that Jesus is asking you to live. And that's a tough thing to say. But you have to build in your lives margin for generosity. You have to build in your lives the ability to be generous. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is the thing that helps us meet, go out there and meet needs and, and, and make, get lost people found. Is our ability to be generous. Not just to the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about generous in the community where we meet needs for people. Or we leave, something as small as leaving a good tip. And, we, you know, we want to be known as people who are generous in our community. But if there's no margin in your life to be generous, if there's nothing left over to be generous, if there's nothing to start with to be generous, you are not living the way that God has intended you to live. Because we are called to be generous. We are called to meet, to meet needs. We are called to do that. And we have to do that by being generous. This is how he's called us to live. This is how he's called us to live. Are you hearing me? Because that's a hard statement. Because a lot of us say, Jason, I can't afford to be generous. And I want you to hear me. You can't afford not to be. If you're, if you're serious about like lost people and you're serious about the movement of God among Lee County, we can't afford not to be generous. We just can't. And these verses that we read in verse 22 and 23, it says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Let me, let me explain. The implication here is that if our heart is not generous, then we become blind to the spiritual needs in the world. If our heart is not generous, we become blind to the spiritual concerns around us. You see, you see what that verse is saying? Is that if, if you 
are investing your treasures here on earth, then oftentimes it, it, it makes it so that you can't see the spiritual concerns that we have around us. We get so consumed with our own things and our own stuff that we miss the spiritual concerns around us. We have to be generous so that we don't put blinders on to the fact that there are people two, a hundred yards from here going to hell right now. And the way that we keep our eyes on that is to have a heart that is generous. And I say this next statement to myself and, and not to you, but maybe you can join, join me in it because I often think this. If that we were a community of believers that had hearts that were generous, then we would already have a building and we'd already have a preschool and we'd already have food pantries and we'd have amazing outreach ministries and we would already have all these things set up on and on and on, more staff, anything that gives a broader reach to the, to the community around us, we'd already have all those things if we are radically generous as a church. 250 people that are radically generous can change the world. That's just the truth. We see it in Scripture. Less than that, radically generous started the movement of Christianity. We know that it can change the world. We know that. But oftentimes, as verse 24 would tell us, that it's hard to serve two masters. For you hate one and you love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't. This, this verse leads me to do two different mindsets. And the first one is, everything I have is his. And the second mindset is, I have worked hard for this and it's mine. And I want you to understand and I want you to hear the difference. The Bible is filled with how we can enjoy all the stuff that we have. And I want you guys to have stuff and I want you to enjoy it. But there is a huge difference between enjoying good things and being owned by enjoyment. I want you to be devoted to generosity. We are stewards, we are not owners. And our only path forward is to shift our mindset to create margin in our lives to be generous. We have to get our finances in order maybe. The church can help with that. And maybe you need to get out of debt. Maybe you need to stop holding the dollar bill so tight. You can start a fire the way you're holding your dollar bills. You rub them together, they're going to burst into flame anyway. I'm not making a, I, I seriously am not up here. I mean, I don't get paid by the church. I'm not making a plea for you to give more money to the church. I'm making a plea that your heart would be generous. That you would understand that we are not going to impact Lee County at all, Cape Coral at all, if we are a bunch of stingy people. We have to be generous.
And there is one path forward to that point is that we have to draw closer to the Lord. I want you to understand that people who are close to the Lord can't help but to be generous. If you are not generous in your life, I will guarantee you that you're not close to the heart of God because he has been generous generous to us from the beginning. With all of creation, he's generous. I had, I had a, a fantastic opportunity to, to go see some beautiful landscapes in Yellowstone in this last year. A speck in the grand scheme of God's creation. And it was unbelievable how generous he is to give us that. You ever thought about the food you eat and the fact that it tastes good? We don't, he didn't have to create it to taste good. We could all be eating kale and that's the only thing that's there. But it tastes good because God in his nature is generous. He's generous and he wants to, us to enjoy. And those who are close to the Lord cannot help but to be generous. I want us to be a church that has hearts of generosity so that the lost people will be found and that the found people will be without need. Can we as a church commit ourselves to hold nothing back? Do you realize that we could change the entire county? It just requires us the, the hardest thing for us to change. We have to have hearts of generosity. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We know that it is extremely challenging. I know that I'm challenged when I read it and I, I'm like, who could be like that? But that is what you've called us to. You've called us to think about all the things that we have stored up for ourselves that maybe that we need to lay down. You've called us to, to do something that doesn't make any sense, to be extremely and radically generous, to believe that you would take that and that you would reach lost people with it. God, help us to be a church that makes a difference in the community, not one that talks about it, not one that, that hopes for it, but rather we would literally put our money where our mouth is and say, lost people matter to Golfside. Help us to change so that we might change our world. In Jesus' name, amen.